0: This module will cover the Doctrine of Revelation in the Theology of Cornelius Van Til. And as we think about the Doctrine of Revelation, we're going to begin by putting up the picture, the diagram of the Creator-Creature relation. And that Creator-Creature relation is brought into view in terms of a self-contained, Trinity, and the relation by way of creation and covenant to Adam in terms of a doctrine of special creation. And we're going to spend a lot of time thinking about the relationship between the creator and the creature in terms of creation and covenant. The course is going to be divided into two basic ways of of describing this relation. The first portion of the course is going to be focused on the character of the self-contained Trinity who reveals himself in nature, in covenant, in scripture, and in Jesus Christ. The second module, the second portion of the course, We'll look at things not from the standpoint of God himself in relation to the creature, but the creature in relation to God. We're going to cover things both from the standpoint of God himself in the act of condescension relating to the creature, and we're also going to talk about the nature of the revelation as he relates to Adam as paradigmatic and regulative, for our understanding of the creator-creature relation. Now, as we begin this module, we need to spend time seeking to understand Van Til's doctrine of the revelation of the self-contained trinity. Van Til said, as we've seen in our previous module, that the ontological trinity is our interpretive concept everywhere. And the self-contained and immutable triune God freely wills a relation to that which is not God, to creatures. And we have to appreciate that Van Til has a distinctive understanding rooted in Scripture, the creeds, and confessions of the self-contained Trinity. But before we treat Van Til's doctrine, we need to begin by outlining something that will help us understand his view by way of contrast. We'll begin by outlining a form of what we call dipolar theism. Dipolar theism. By dipolar, we mean that according to this view, God consists of two distinct and contrasting sets of attributes. So if you're talking in terms of dipolar theism, the idea of a self-contained ontological trinity disappears And when we think of dipolarity, we think of attribute set 1 and attribute set 2 in God as he relates to creation. He's characterized by two distinct sets of attributes. On the one side, you can say that when God is not related, attribute set uh, number one, when God is not related to creation, he is eternal, he is simple, and he is immutable. Attribute set two, when God is related to creation, he becomes, in that relation, temporal. In relation to simplicity, he becomes composite, takes on new properties, takes on new attributes, and he becomes mutable. So attribute set one is God in himself. Attribute set two is God in relation to creation. And so Dipolarity means there are two kinds of attributes in God. One classifies him in terms of his uh, transcendence away from creation in himself, the other characterizes him in relation to creation. Um, so, whether those contrasting attributes are Distinct and antithetical qualities of the Godhead, or whether they are viewed as um, features of the eternal processions, which we'll talk about later, where perhaps the Father is immutable and the Son is mutable in the processions. However, it's characterized, whatever the cosmetic differences, you can say this apart from creation. For dipolar forms of theism, God is infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. But in relation to creation, he comes to be temporal, composite, and mutable. Now, what I want us to do now, as we begin to think about an alternative to to Van Til, is talk about the work of Isaac August Dorner. You might ask, why Dorner? Why talk about Dorner? Well, both Bavink and Van Til, in their respective works, Bavink in his Reformed Dogmatics, Van Til in his Introduction to Systematic Theology, both critique this progressive Lutheran theologian from his book entitled Divine Immutability, and they construe Dorner's proposal as fatal to Christian orthodoxy, a fatal option, a fatal view. And so I want us to spend some time thinking about Dorner because we're going to survey both Bavink and Van Til critiquing him directly for his modified, what what we can call a form of a dipolar theism. Now, while Dorner theoretically maintained that God is simple and therefore not composite in himself, He also insisted, and this is distinctive, that God's relation to creation entails in this relation, I'm going to just take away creation and covenant, that in this relationship there is a um, mutual change and a reciprocal relation that emerges between God and the creature. Here is His language. He says If one acknowledges that God has an immediate and not merely deistic relation to the actual emergence of the new, then it must also be recognized that the efficacious, properly creative activity of God proceeds temporally and conditions itself in its actions by what is spatially and temporally already given. But with this we already have a change in God's living existence. That word for living existence in German is betätigung. Betätigung. It's a the living existence of god changes changes in the relation of creation the betetegung the living existence of god changes when god creates the root conception for dorner is that god's living self-existence his relational mode of existence changes in the work of creation. The relational acts of God in creation entail that God is conditioned by and partakes in the change associated with time and space. And there is in this a new relation of mutual change. Now, the question might arise, why would anyone ever postulate that in his relation to creation, God changes. When God reveals himself, he undergoes a sovereignly-willed self-transformation. Well, Dorner offers a religious rationale for such a conception. He says this, and this is a quote from his book, The relation of love between God and man must be a reciprocal Relation. Reciprocal relation. The the betetegung, the change in God's living existence, is a change so that God is now entering into a reciprocal relation. He goes on. As that is required by the nature of love. Consequently, it is to be taught that God himself, who on the side of generating power remains eternally the sole principle, enters the relation of ethical love in a reciprocal relation. Yes, he says, God enters into a relation of mutual and reciprocal influence. So it's a reciprocal relation of mutual And reciprocal influence. God influences Adam, or man. Man influences God. As God changes, enters into a reciprocal relation, and that reciprocal relation is characterized by mutual reciprocal influence. And he has a religious reason for doing this. He says, if God does not do this, there is no religion. There's no religious relation. And so, when God condescends in the relation of love, you find his ethical mode of relation to the creature. The change in betetagun, living existence. The Entering into the reciprocal relation characterized by mutual reciprocal influence between God and the creature is for the purpose of forging a new religious conception of God and man. One that replaces the old Augustinian Calvinistic and ultimately biblical conception. He says, this is required by the nature of interpersonal love. And so, by... A reciprocal relation. Dorner means a relation of mutual influence, mutual change, mutual determination, mutual interdependence. Mutual interdependence characterizes the creator and the creature in the dipolarity of God's being, of his living existence. James Dolezal, in his work, All That Is Not God, notes that Dorner, along with Karl Barth and a host of other biblicist evangelicals, affirm this model, this idea of mutualism. Van Til calls it correlativism. All mutualists, all correlativists deny that God is simple and immutable in his freely determined relation to creation. And typically, they locate the change in the persons of the Godhead, which we'll see that Dorner does. But we're trying to get the basic picture out first. So what this means for a doctrine of revelation is this. Please understand this. We're talking about a a dipolar theism or some species of it where God is comprised of two sets of contrasting attributes and changes in a reciprocal relation of mutual influence and interdependence in relation to the creature. Whenever you have that, the doctrine of revelation is this. The creator comes to share the same temporal mode of existence found in the mutable creation. The creator and the creature share a common mode of existence. Even though God initiates the relation, God changes in the relation to take to himself the mode of contingent, temporal, composite experience that characterizes the creatures. And so, in that relation, the creator is influenced by the creature, and the creature is influenced by the creator in the sense that they are in a dynamic, temporal relation characterized by mutual change. Now, this is an important thing to appreciate when it comes to revelation. Revelation, uh, uh, pictured here in terms of these two circles uh, and two lines that we'll talk about uh, from Van Til's standpoint more um, later, this relationship brings about, though there's initially a creator-creature distinction in terms of attribute set one, once that relation is affected, the mode of the creator and the creature is one. The mode of relation is one. It's a monistic conception of God in relation to the creature what we might call a pantheistic tendency. And then there's a deistic conception when God is not related to the creature. But Dorner goes on to speak now of the ethical essence of God. If you're talking about the first set of attributes, God has something analogous to a traditional essence. But when he enters into that reciprocal relation of mutual love and change, he takes to himself what Dorner calls an ethical essence. An ethical essence. And in that ethical essence, you find the emergence of this mutual reciprocal love that reaches out to the creature. And even more specifically, you find this ethical essence arising from the Trinitarian processions themselves. Now, in Dorner's theological understanding of the eternal relation of the Father to the Son, you have the Trinitarian ground for what we have on the board. So let me pause and make certain that this is clear. When God relates to the creature, this temporal, composite, mutable mode of existence is what the creature knows in terms of revelation. It's what the creature experiences in terms of revelation. But if you ask yourself, is there change in God apart from and prior to the event of creation? Dorner says, yes, there is. And what I want to do is I want to... uh, See, just erase just a portion right here, and I want you to think about the about Dorner's reconstruction of the relationship of the Father and the Son in what we'll call the eternal processional relation and how he locates change in the eternal generation of the person of the Son. So when we're thinking about the processional relation where the Father begets the Son from all eternity, which Dorner affirms, in Dorner's theological reconstruction, he classifies the mode of the Father's being differently from the Son's. The Father, he says, is ethically... Necessary, the Son is ethically free. Prior to and apart from the relation of the Creator to the creature, in the eternal processional relations of the Godhead, The father is ethically necessary and the son is ethically free. And the place where Dorner is going to locate change is in the person of the son from all eternity. So in back of this mutualist or correlativist relation of the creator and the creature lies a personalist doctrine of mutability from all eternity. Listen to what he says. He says... God is to be conceived first as the ethically necessary being or as the holy. That first is the Father. Second, as ethically free. Through both of these, God actualizes himself as eternally self-conscious, holy, and free love. Now you've got to pause and hear what's being said. God, as Father, first, is ethically necessary. As he begets the Son, the Son is ethically free, and that eternal relation is one of actualizing the freedom that will characterize the creature's mode of existence. Within the Trinitarian processions, Dorner finds a necessity-freedom dialectic. Father necessary, Son is free. Prior to and apart from creation, Dorner introduces the ground for the possibility that God is ethically free in the eternal generation of the Son as Williams argues in the introduction of Dorner's book, Immutability. The ethical necessity of the father requires the ethical freedom of the son so that both necessity and freedom converge in the divine processions. There's a necessity and freedom in the divine processions. The constancy of the Father's ethical being and contingency of the Son's ethical freedom join in Dorner's mind to form the Trinitarian ethical essence of God and the change in his living existence. So even behind, please hear this, and I want to make sure that this is clear. Logically, prior to the change in God's living existence expressed in creation, There is a change in the mode of God's existence in the person of the Son as he realizes the potential of God to become ethically free. The Father realizes the freedom of the creature's mode of existence in the generation of the Son. And so, the essence, while being necessary contains the potential of change within it, and that potential is actualized in the eternal generation of the Son. Now, you have to appreciate this. Both before the creator-creature relation is in place, before it is in place, before the change in the living existence in creation, there is a change in the personal mode of existence of the son in distinction from the father that enshrines a necessity freedom dialectic in to the trinity the principle of divine freedom in love that expresses itself in mutual change with the creature in creation that mode of existence has its alpha point prior to creation in the processional relation of eternal generation you've got to appreciate this this is a convergence of mutualism, creator creature, same mode of existence, and personalism, where the locus of change is found in the person of the Son. The let me put it as precisely as I can, the processional relation of generation includes the principle of dynamic personal change within it. And the dynamic personal change in the procession is precisely the beginning, the personal beginning, for this distinct attribute set. You have the attribute set that is necessary. You have the attribute set that is free, because it's dipolar theism. Where is the Trinitarian ground for this distinction? The father, ethically necessary. The son, ethically free. The locus of dynamic change is found in the person of the son in the processional relation of origin. And that free, contingent, temporal mode of existence is what is expressed in the work of creation and the event of the incarnation. Now, For those of you who are interested in this discussion, between Schleiermacher and Barth is the theology of Dorner. And Karl Barth, by his own admission, is indebted to Dorner's reconstruction of immutability. He would call this ethical immutability constancy in love characterized by reciprocal mutual interdependent relation between the creator and the creature the constancy of love in two who are emerged in mutual and reciprocal change that is bart's doctrine of immutability and he is explicit in cd2 1 493 he says that his own Doctrine of Immutability, quote, owed much to Dorner's inspiration. His Doctrine of Immutability, Bart's, is dependent on this primal conception of within the being of God, you find the becoming of God. From the being of the Father, ethically necessary, flows the ethical freedom of the sun, flowing from that relationship is the creaturely mode of existence already contained in the sun. Now, Jim Cassidy, in his 2018 Reformed Forum lecture, observed the following. When God, from the very beginning, takes a third time to himself in Jesus Christ, this is Bart, in the dimensional realm of to forever separated from calendar time, this means that at some level, God is wrapped up with our time. Within that third time of God's time for us is both God's time and our time in an eternal correlative relation. That's Bart. Dorner's view locates the alpha point of correlativity, listen, not in the creator-creature relation simpliciter, but in the processional relation of the son as ethically free in distinction from the father so that you have a trinitarian basis in the processional relation for the dipolarity of the attributes. Necessary, free. Immutable, mutable. Eternal, temporal. Bart follows Dorner's immutability defined by God's correlative relation in time to the creature. So if you're looking historically for the development from Schleiermacher to Barth, and if you're looking for the historical precedent for Barth's correlativist conception of immutability as the constancy of God's love in a common time with the creature, you need look no further than Dorner, by Barth's own admission. Cassidy concludes, immutability is defined by Barth in terms of what happens in Jesus Christ. It is defined in terms of dynamic change in time. And that is what happens when you make God and man correlative at any point in the creator-creature relation. Now this brief overview of Dorner and Bart, their reconceived notion of immutability, is shared by a number of theologians, whether you think of Hartshorne and the process theism, whether you think of um, Sanders and Pinnock and open theism, whether you think of evangelical biblicists like Ware or Frame or Oliphant, or any others who have denied the immutability and simplicity and uh, self-contained character of God in his relation to creation you find a fundamental agreement with this reconceived conception of immutability as constancy of love and keeping of promises in a change, in a relation characterized by mutual reciprocal change and influence between the creator and the creature. Now, why spend so much time with Dorner? Well two points. First, Dorner's view is the beginning of a post-Kantian self-conscious reconstruction of the doctrine of immutability to accommodate mutual change in time between God and the creature. And so if you want to get back behind the correlativism that Van Til was critiquing in the 20th century, if you want to get behind the rise of mutualism, in the 21st century go back and look at dorner and you find there a self-conscious reconstruction of immutability that's not simply rooted in the creator-creature relation but is rooted in the eternal trinitarian processions themselves particularly concretely the processional relation of generation where the son receives a distinct mode of existence characterized by dynamic change and reciprocal love, whereby the father realizes the potential for such change and mutability in the son. It's astonishing. Secondly, we have to remember that the motivation for Dorner, Bart, and I believe other mutualists and correlativists like them, is religious in character. It's not just an attempt to rethink theoretically the attributes of God, to rethink theoretically the nature of condescension, to rethink theoretically the nature of the eternal processional relation of generation. It is instead a religious claim that creatures cannot have relation to God unless God shares their temporal, composite, and mutable mode of existence. And so really, the the debate on this point, when when we're framing Van Til's doctrine of absolute, living, immutable, Trinitarian persons relating to the creature, this debate is about true religion and the character of the god who sovereignly relates to the creature without change. Now, Bavink and Van Til, whom I'm going to treat now, both bring Dorner into view and both provide a robust and compelling and penetrating alternative to his conception of everything from the nature of the persons in the processions to the nature of God's voluntary condescension in creation and covenant. Or, if I speak more broadly, um, voluntary condescension technically, Westminster Confession 7-1 is the special act of providence and covenant, but if we speak more broadly, God's condescension in his sovereignty to relate to the creature. Bavink and Van Til not only disagree with Dorner, but as we're going to see, especially with Van Til following Bavink on this point, They affirm a robust alternative whereby living, immutable, absolute, autothean, Trinitarian persons enter into time without being temporal and into space without being spatial and reveal the self-contained fullness of the glory of the triune God. And we'll turn to that as we look at the positive, reformed alternative to this progressive, mutualist, correlativist proposal that you find in Dorner, Bart, and those who follow them in a reconstructed view of immutability and revelation.